Welcome to another episode of Personalize. Um, before we deep dive into this guest, I just I do just want to say, I don't know if you hear it, but that's my fan in the background. That bitch is cooking. It is hot in this June. We are pushing the best we can to get stuff done. Um, obviously, this year has not been kind to anybody. And But for you, listener, I, I do hope it it looks like it's turning around and, and maybe, maybe maybe today just just is your day you know maybe today today you're gonna go somewhere you're gonna ask for your favorite food and they're gonna say hell yeah we have that all of it you can have everything you want i mean i sounds nice doesn't it (laughs) for this episode this is with surrey for those of you that aren't still familiar with surrey um he's already been on a couple episodes of personalized on our little mini sodes we run through here and there um and he's also uh the founder and head of gravity undone who publishes personalized a lot of his works include his audio drama he's known for, uh, Exit Plan, his his really good, really, really, really deep dive um, w- weekly uh, podcast called My Creativity, where he basically sits down and he goes through and um, you know he gives you his his view on on the creating process, and it's really interesting. Fun. I, I really suggest everyone be subscribed to that and make that one of your weekly podcasts because I know I do. And he has another one with a co-host of his called Space Brains, where they go over uh, a science fiction movie each episode and and give their side of views and opinions on it. Um, that's also a great find. You can find all those on any of your podcast platforms you already listen to, like the one you're listening to now. To make up for some, <laughs> to a fuck up on my end, um, we had recorded an episode with him early when Personalized started. He was one of the first. Um we had uh, it was when I was still getting used to getting things set up for the process, and I'm just gonna be frank with you, I lost audio for his episode, and it was a downer because it was a really really good episode. This one's good too, but that one's really good. Um, we learned a lot about Surrey, uh, including him being on a boat and just a lot of other cool shit that w- w- it'll come up over time. There won't be a content warning this episode. The only thing I will say is that um, we discussed some of the fires that were burning in Australia at the end of last year, around the time we recorded this episode, so. I guess just um, if if it affects you, I'm sorry. Uh, just skip a few minutes into the episode, um, and then we're we're back on track. So without further ado, enjoy. So I really want to start this out. Um, I've I've kind of tried. Uh, I think we've tried to talk in the past about about a lot, a lot well about a lot of things. But in particular, uh, were you at all affected by the fire? Uh, no, I'm in Western Australia. We don't have any trees. What? So we. <laughs> well, that's a, that's okay. an exaggeration, but uh, it's yeah. There's we we had some bushfires, but not. Not anything more than a few spot fires here and there. Where we actually have enough bush that you'd be able to catch fire in a reasonable sense is a bit down south from where I am and it's also rains mm-hmm. a bit more. So it's a bit wetter there in general. Uh, whereas over on the east coast, you get a lot more sort of wet winters and then very dry hot summers. So you get a very good combination there. But here we, we get the same thing, but... Because it's far more arid, uh, like here in Mandra, 
there's occasional tree that might be, you know, five mm-hmm. stories tall type of thing. But most of the stuff we have here is pretty low, low sort of scrubby trees. And, um, you know, I, I live in sand dunes, for example. And my, my whole yard of my house is just sand. And the entire, uh, I guess it's sort of an island. It's, it's only technically an island because I cut a channel through it, but the whole thing is just basically sand dunes. There's no, there's no trees or anything to catch fire. So, so yeah, we've got a, we've got a couple little sort of fires, you know, and I don't want to discount it in case any, any bushfire fighters from Western Australia are listening going, hey, we, we had to work hard <laughs> yesterday. There were fires here, but not like in New South Wales and Victoria and in Queensland where... Uh, it's unusual mm-hmm. for Queensland. Uh, certainly, New South Wales, Victoria, have very sort of hot, dry summers, which are great for bushfires. Melbourne's to the east, right? Or is that? Um... That's right. Okay. Yeah, southeast. So when you know when it started getting like really bad as far as the news and stuff, and you know, I mean, it, you know, you could tell it was it was you know it was pretty bad. Um, I remember the one of the days we uh a lot some of us within the I think Hill and Wilmette server we were kind of like. Yeah, worried about some of you in Australia. So you know, we were, um, especially me and uh, I don't remember a few others. I could not get remember to give shut up. But we were going through the server, like you know, we were trying to see who was where with the fires and everything. And um, you know, Taryn and Mike checked in, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, we're okay. You know, I mean, it's it's not too bad on this because I think they're on um, Western as well, I believe." And then um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're and then the uh, honors uh, honors in Melbourne. Um, uh, and you know, he was like, <laughs> his whole thing was, well, the, he said, well, you know, we're okay. He said, but there's a, uh, there's a big national forest, um, or something on the other side of Melbourne or on the other side of Melbourne. He's like, they got to get through a whole forest before they get to me anyways. And, you know, it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, California was in the news last year or the year before last because of fires, but, um, you know, it, it's crazy, man. I mean, one day you could just be sitting here just. Uh, watching the news and then the next you could just see uh you see trees and places and um you know people and hear stories about the burning it's it's really crazy man yeah my parents were over here visiting like they live on mm-hmm. the central coast just north of sydney and they're over here visiting over christmas uh, they've got like a uh, converted van so it's like a it's, you know a camper so they, they drove over and they were staying with us and they couldn't leave because all the uh, freeways and the highways were all shut down because of fires. But they didn't, they sort of weren't that keen because while their house was safe, there, there was a lot of fires around that area and there was just smoke. Um, yeah, there's, they reckon there was uh, one of the biggest problems is not just the, the fires burning properties and, and there was, you know, there was 33 people that lost their lives, but... The, the amount of smoke that was heading through Sydney and through Central Coast and so forth was meaning that everyone was with uh, respiratory problems, you know, a bit of asthma or or if you've got a chest cold or something at the time, were ending up in hospital because they couldn't um, breathe. Now, to my knowledge, are the fires still currently going on um, on this day that we record or because um, you don't really hear about them a lot. But when you do, some people, you know, you still hear people, yeah, the fires are still burning. But a lot has said that there, there's been so much rain down there with the, now you guys have flooding. Um, that it- Yeah, well, that's it. The floods have put the <laughs> fires out, so that's okay. 
I guess I guess Mother Earth got tired of burning and just wanted a bath for a bit. Yeah, it's just getting a bit <laughs> hot. So it's it's quite good. Yeah, there's some heavy rains. There's a bit of flooding, uh, you know, along some of the rivers. It's it's not it's not like a flood crisis. Every now and then, every let's say 10, 15 years, we have like some pretty ser- serious flooding where you know whole towns just get inundated with water uh, up to the roof. And people are sort of sitting on their roof waiting for the water to go down. But so it's not quite that bad. But yeah, there's a bit of flooding. and But the fires have gone out thanks to the, some of the rain, which is nice. And uh, there's still some fires here and there burning, but they're now listed as being mm-hmm. under control. Yeah, I don't think there's much left to burn. <laughs> I know, like, um, you know, I mean, because it's, it's technically been summer for you guys over the past couple of months, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I know that that may have put a, a somewhat of a damper in on um, what what fun you guys may have had. I mean, what what did you guys do this summer, you and your wife and your kids? Oh, we went down to Margaret River, which is just mm-hmm. down south in the trees. Uh, oddly <laughs> enough, uh, that was that was beautiful down there. We so my parents came over, my my brother and his wife and their kids came over. They're all over in mm-hmm. Sydney, sort of thing. And my other brother, my younger brother, came down. He works at the mine sites up in a place called Parabadu, which is just now getting a lot of storms from the um, cyclones. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, they're quite inland, so they, they stop being cyclones by the time they, they get to Parabadu, but they still they get some pretty wild weather. Uh, but they were down with their two kids, and so we rented through like airbnb a property with a you know a farmhouse which had six bedrooms or something crazy in it and yeah maybe five acres of land around it and we're down there and we went to the beach we went to see some of the caves and things that you yeah, right. down there yeah, i went to the skate park a fair bit there's a brand new skate park in margaret river and yeah it was it was a wonderful wonderful time the, the kids had a great time messing about with their cousins um so you but you and your wife you know you two have been getting deeper and deeper into the skateboarding scene right yeah you know, my wife started off with that she's back when she was a youngster i don't know exact <laughs> times let's say mm-hmm. high school teenage years she sort of got a bit into the skating and she was um she was into the punk scene and the music and uh, she was doing photography, you know, band photography mm. and things. So she was sort of right in there. But then uh, yeah, she finished up school and, and she moved out and, and got a, a real job, as it were. <laughs> uh, she moved over to Melbourne where she met me. And so all this time we've come back, she sort of finally got around and went, you know what, I, I really want to get back into skating and, and having mm-hmm. that sort of fun. Because she's been um, dealing with, you know, going to works and, and kids and getting uh, going back and did a bit more schooling. Just stressful, and, just, um, just needs she's, time. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then she's she's had some, you know, some uh, mental health issues that she's been working through. And now she's going, okay, it's, it's time to have a bit of fun. So she started up a, or rather she found there's this uh, organization called Skateboard mm. WA. And they run ladies' se- she- uh, lady sessions so women only where they basically take over a skate park with the the blessing of the local council and you know cordon it off with cones and 
they bring out some music and yeah it's just uh, women and girls of all ages uh, taught how to skate by coaches and things and so she sort of got back into it that way and she met a, a few other women uh, who are of a similar mm-hmm. skill level and you know background and so forth and, and they're really hitting it off so she started doing she, she and her friends would actually then rent a place um, down some places down south and they'd go on like a skate trip and, and visit the skate parks and have a bit of time so <clears throat> yeah so I came along she, she said uh, oh, and then she bought this thing called a Smooth Star which is a, a skateboard uh, with the larger cruiser wheels it's got a very mobile front truck and a, very, and a rigid rear one so you, you actually ride it like a surfboard and you can sort of carve it and uh, without kicking so uh when we went camping on the easter mm-hmm. last year i rode that around and i like thought that, that was pretty good fun so she bought me one for my birthday and we went skating a few times just on you know on carving up the streets here it's so we live in a beautiful beach holiday town, Mandra, and there's some lovely sort of lonely streets in the back streets, hills. Uh, and then, yeah, came up to Christmas when we were going to go down a Margaret River. I just thought, well, Margaret River, if we're going to be spending time at the skate park, I want to be able to participate too. So I went and bought myself a skateboard and started going going home <laughs> on it uh, so it's really cool yeah so i've been doing that for a little so for the past three four months and uh this is a bit well. random but have you ever seen walter mitty mm-hmm. oh man the uh uh ben stiller what's his name Ben Stiller, that's right. I was going to say Ben Affleck, but that's just for the wrong anyone ben. that has not seen that movie. I, I mean, I highly recommend it. Like everybody in my life that I sat down and made them watch. I mean, they've they've walked away, you know, not just liking the movie and enjoying it, but I mean, it it's got just like the way they shot it and you know the right. I mean, everything they've done with that movie just I really don't know how to describe it. it. Just gives you like this feeling, man, and the soundtrack that you you know, takes that you know you have with you, you know. Um, it's it's incredible, you know, the scenes and shit they shot. Like, uh, I forget if it was Greenland or Iceland, because I think he went to both, I think. But when he did the, I assume, now I'm not, I don't know much about skateboarding, but I assume it's the longboard he traded for those in the, in the movie for the kids. Um, when he was skating down the hill with the volcano. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be, yeah, a longboard. God, that was... So it's longer, it's got a lower lower deck on it and larger sort mm-hmm. of wheels than, for example, a, a, you know, what, I guess a street board or a, or a board that you take that on a ramp or something. That was such a fucking crazy movie. And that scene right there, I mean, the soundtrack the, and the, that moment of just riding down, I mean, there's no one else around, which, I mean, and again, it was a movie, but I mean, it was it was a beautiful shot for that. And um, the, the reason why I brought it up is uh, I think I saw somewhere on social media um, you and your wife or, or both of you, one of you have posted uh, a video of you going down the hill like that in a similar trance, and then that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to ask mm-hmm. if you saw that, that shot there. That's where we are both... That was at Margaret God. River. There's a, uh, a, a road that ran parallel with mm-hmm. the beach, 
So Sudoku undulates up and down with the, the sand dunes. And I think it was meant to go to a housing estate, or maybe it still will, but there's no housing estate at the end. So it's just like this dead end uh, road. It's not even a dead end. The road just sort of stops and then it becomes scrub and sand. But as a result, nobody drives there. So we had this stretch of road with like a T intersection on it, which didn't have any connection. No, you know, nothing. It didn't go anywhere or connect to anything. There was, weren't even car parks there or a path down to the beach. So it was totally abandoned. And we went there. Uh, we'd just been to the skate park. And it was sun was just starting to go down. So it had that beautiful lighting. Uh, there's some clouds. It was just magical. We managed to get some uh, great shots there because uh, my wife has started up her own Thursday night mm -hmm. women's sessions where she's sort of trying to build a bit of a community down here in Mandra. Yeah, it was it was oh man, and the, and like I said, the the video I, I watched them and it just ah, oh, it's it's just it's great, man. <laughs> I'm still stuck in, in the whole the whole movie and the the scenery. You know the videos you got. I mean, that's it's got to be crazy just to be just to be there. Um, you know, no one else around, just you and uh, I suppose you're bored and just cruising down the road. I mean, did you guys ever? Um, did you guys ever fall <laughs> going down that specific road at that time? No. Uh, well, my wife had to abandon her board. She turned and couldn't quite turn sharply enough, uh, so she had to jump off. Uh, before she hit the mm. guttering, but yeah, no, no actual. You wouldn't want to because you we were scooting along there pretty fast. I'd say, yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty, fairly fast, I guess. I don't know how fast that would be 30 kilometers per hour. I think so. I just spoke about this um, recently in the episode, but uh, my when when I was younger, my so my little brother he had a skateboard, couldn't tell you what kind. I think it was just some generic Walmart one or whatever at one time. Um, uh, just a normal model with i i guess normal wheels dude i can't tell you like sound or shit skate, but he had a skateboard my uh he left it at my dad's and that and that was when after my mom had divorced my dad and you know uh my dad had met my stepmom and everything and um i was living with them and my little brother was living with my mom and every now and then he would come visit you know as, as divorced people do and he would uh he left a skateboard I don't know what came over my dad's my dad's head when he did it but him and some buddies got 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 wasted one night and said well, you know, basically taught each other into, they would take turns riding down the hill on the skateboard. And when I say hill, I mean, we had a steep hill coming up to the, the neighborhood we lived in. So they would, and they did that for days at days. Like every night, every day when they get home from work, they would take turns riding down the hill on the skateboard. And I, I, I was never out there to see the bloodbath, but I mean, it never got to the point. I mean, my dad's still here, but I mean, it was, I mean, he, you know, when they fall, they fall. I mean, it, luckily they had grass patches. Um, on each side, you know, if they, if they knew they were going to fall, they would try their best to, to make sure they land on the path. But man, that hill being a drunk ass guy going down there, it's crazy. <laughs> That's probably, I think you answered why they decided to do it. <laughs> oh man. Um, so does your, you know, you know, you two, you done skateboarding together. Um, is there anything, you know, you two, uh, other uh anything else you two bond over not just skateboarding um you know i mean of course she's your 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 life partner and your your business partner that and you know the mother of your kids but are there things that you two catch yourselves um finding time to to make to do 
whether it's a TV show or a certain game you play together, maybe by chance, or um, yeah, we we love uh, we love a bit of science fiction mm-hmm. and fantasy. So we've we've watched a lot of uh, movies, read the same set of books. Uh, so, for example, uh, yeah, shows like The Walking Dead and uh, Game of Thrones, uh, certainly very fond of. Um, more recently, what are we watching that uh, Daybreak. Have you seen that? Oh, on why Netflix? have I heard of that? Is that the one where the kids are at the high school? Uh, yes, post-apocalyptic. Yes. Is it, 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 I, it? I don't yes. remember what wangs me about that. Wangs that's a shitty word. What? What kind of veers me off with the trailer? But um, I know the concept of it's pretty. It sounds pretty good. But isn't there? What? What? Can you explain to me and to the listeners what what exactly that deal is for this whole uh, Daybreak? I wasn't entirely sure when I was going into it, but what it turns out to be, and I don't know if you have seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If I say I haven't, I'm going to get shit, but I'm going to be honest to say that I, if I did, I don't remember. It's, it's like one of those sort of 80s, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's an 80s movie, so uh, it might be a bit before your time, I suppose, but so Ferris Bueller's Day Off was, was a, as a classic movie, It you know, it's got um, Matthew Broderick in it where he's... Ferris Bueller, who is sort of a, a fast-talking sort of um, kid from high school who basically calls in sick in order to have a mm-hmm. day out. Uh, it, it's this line he says there, you know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop every once in a while, have a look around, you'll miss it. And so he, he has this day out where it's just sort of calls in sick and then he cons his friend into going calling in sick with him and then they take his friend's dad's uh ferrari classic ferrari for a ride into the town and he picks up his girlfriend from the high school and you know they have this sort of crazy adventure where they're um they end up in a you know a parade of some sort singing that there's the famous scene where he's singing twist and shout and yeah all these other sort of things the crazy things are happening around them throughout the whole thing and it all finally looks like it's all going to come unraveled at the end but at the end everyone sort of learns this lesson about enjoying themselves rather than sticking to the rules all the time and it all sort of works out so daybreak then is basically post-apocalyptic ferris bueller's day out it even actually has matthew broderick as the principal of oh, the high that's school funny. which i think is kind of a bit of a funny turnaround there but he's kind of a I don't know, he's, he's this weird sort of trying-to-be-cool principle. Uh, but it follows a similar thing where the main character, Josh, he talks to the camera and, and he's very aware of the fact that he's in a TV show, if you like. And, you know, he's aware of having flashbacks. So he says, you know, everyone else around him will stand still. So it's not like a freeze frame, but they're acting like it's a freeze frame. And he'll turn to the camera and he'll talk and say, oh, well, actually, this isn't the first time I met this person. I met him back when I, you know, was at the mall. And it, and he walks through a doorway and then he's in his flashback sort of thing. So it's got this very, it's very much, yeah, a tribute, I suppose, to Ferris Bueller's Day Off if it was happening after a nuclear apocalypse. So as as from that point of view, it's quite clever and uh, amusing um, and has a lot of sort of throwbacks to those sorts of uh, movies, you know, The, the Breakfast Club and Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, and a few other bits and pieces. So it's quite 
quite entertaining from that point of view. It's, that's that's what we're watching at the moment. Right now, Brendan and I, um, and I know I know I've said it like since the show started. We are we are actually finally about to be able to watch season eight of Game of Thrones. Um, found a way to do it. I'm not excited for it because I've heard all the flack from it, but we just we can't stand not finishing it. So we're going to um, we're going to finish Game of Thrones finally, and then I need to finish Witcher. I don't know if you've seen Witcher or not, but the first episode yeah. was great. Oh, I liked it, and I've heard so much. Saw so Witcher. Oh, really? I, I nearly stopped watching because of the first episode. It was so poorly put together. Like, oh my god, what a dreadfully um, scripted and and an edited first episode uh but i will i, I will whole, say the one thing know, i pushed on because <laughs> the one thing my, about the episode that did drive me i think was like after he had sex um there was some like just straight oh, fuck what happened i want to say he had sex and then she was just magically somewhere else or something like that there was there was a bit of like story gap within after the sex scene that kind of irked the shit out of me but past that i really enjoyed the first episode but um I haven't got to finish this season. Now, my, my friend, uh, co-host of Space Brains, he'd watched the whole thing through and he, he said, no, you got to watch it. So, I watched through and then, yeah, after the second episode, I was like, oh, no, okay, this is this is turning okay. And most of the way through, the first episode started to make sense. But as a first episode, uh, I guess the problems that I had with it really were that I think they started at the wrong point. They had this whole... Uh, battle with the 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 lioness mm-hmm. or whatever her name was and her husband gets shot in the eyeball and he's like and I'm watching it going I I don't give a fucking rat's ass about these people I I couldn't care less if these people die or not and what's the point of this battle how boring nothing like there's no stakes there's no what if they win or lose I don't know it doesn't matter uh so it's just like you're just having this battle here to have a battle scene so you can you know, throw some budget around and make people go, ooh, a mm-hmm. battle scene. But there's no... You're not invested in it. It's not like uh, the the Battle of the Bastards where Jon Snow is being surrounded by hordes of men. You go, oh my God, no, he can't die because this is got to happen and that's got to happen. And, you know, you're, you're actually invested in that the outcome of that battle. This one was just like, oh, I don't care. All these people get massacred. <laughs> one team or the other. What difference does that make? And And I thought... I thought the first episode should have started with the castle being overrun and Princess Ciri being told to go find the Witcher and then, then do the other battle stuff sort of in later on. But, you know, it, it all makes sense in the context of the rest of the show, which sort of rescues that first episode. But if I was making a judgment based on the first episode, I would have just gone, these story writers and the director, they... Um, they don't, don't know how to craft a plot here because they've started at the wrong spot. They've introduced something that sh- I should care about, but I just don't. And it's sort of all mixed up. But as a whole, the whole season is actually really very well done. And that sort of rescues that first episode. And, and you realize, like, you know, the first episode is really good. It was just... Done in a weird way. <laughs> the way they've decided to tell this story by cutting backs and forwards through different time place, you know, segments that, yeah, it's just, but uh, it's, it's a fantastic series and it, everyone should watch it. Despite what I just um, said about the first episode. My friend episode. of mine, my close friend, uh, he, he's like, all right, if I'm being honest, I haven't read the Witcher books. I haven't played the games, but he played three 
and I think he dabbled in one and two or, or planned to one time. And, um, um, so he, he knew more than me about it, but he started, he watched the first episode and kind of just like he kind of fell off. He didn't finish. He's like, I gotta be honest. First episode kind of, it didn't catch me as much as I wanted. So he forced himself to, to start getting into it. And then weeks later he comes and he's like, Hey, by the way, I'm actually like halfway through Witcher. And he's like, I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's pretty hard to stop watching. And now he said, it was just that first episode. It just, it just didn't click with me right away. Yeah, I, I, and I think there was a particular artistic direction they decided to go with how they're going to tell the story as these multiple timelines. Um, and in a way, one thing they did very cleverly was this whole first season, the first eight episodes, I suppose, really just act as... It's almost like episode one of season mm-hmm. two. You could imagine a typical story would start off and you haven't finished watching this, so I'm not going to give you any information about what happens, but a typical series would probably have started off with the last episode right? and moved forward from there. But this this series gives you... Uh, it's sort of a prolonged prologue to the actual story. Like, the actual story doesn't start in oh. the first season. Uh, it, it just has... Um, different characters. You know, if, if you want to separate out the overall story of right. The Witcher from the story, the stories of the characters in The Witcher. So, season one is like the stories of the characters that are going to be in the main story. It'd be like, uh, you know, the, the, the Hobbit where basically Gandalf rocks up and says, hey, Bilbo, we're going on an adventure. And they go, okay, cool. And they head off on an adventure. Like, that's the start of the, the show. But imagine if before that... You had, here's a few things about Bilbo and some of his ancestors, and here's what Gandalf was doing, and here's those dwarves and, and their struggles against the orcs leading up to it. And that would all culminate then with Gandalf walking in saying, hey, we're going on an adventure with these dwarves. And then that's where the season would end. And you sort of, that's, that's kind of the Witcher first season. It's, it's very well done in that you're, you're, you get interested in all these characters so that season two, which will be, I think, the actual start of the real story, the story that's promised throughout the first season. and But then you'll be going into it with all of this backstory and you'll know these characters and some of their information. And yeah, it, it, it's very well done. It gives a lot of scope for, I can see season two isn't going to be just a, oh shit, I didn't think we'd get this <laughs> approved sort of thing. It's actually going to be proper story. You know someone has crafted it and thought about it and considered it. Because a lot of shows and a lot of movies have that where they go, gee, I didn't expect anyone was going to like it. We better hurry up and come up with something. What happens next? And then it's kind of, I know, they go to Europe. Yes. And there's a prince that looks just like the main character and they swap for the day. Yeah, 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 there. That's a storyline done. And you kind of um, go, oh, I know guys. the showrunner, she came out and said that, uh, um, I think, like, at least seven seasons, I believe, is what she said she had um, uh, currently planned for the, the series in general. Yeah, there's a lot of books mm-hmm. to work off. So, there's a... And, and as I understand, the show doesn't... It's not trying to retell the story of the books... But it uses a lot of that. Would you say material. that The Witcher is your favorite Netflix series? Netflix original series. 
Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Let me think. What are some of the other ones I've watched? Well, certainly, certainly my favourite. Certainly my favourite first season. It's going to have to, you know, make sure it keeps this up for the next few seasons. So other other ones that I have enjoyed was the Santa Clarita Diet. Unfortunately, that got cancelled. So apparently, I was one of the few people who enjoyed it. Drew Barrymore as a zombie, basically. <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of disturbing. It's a it's actually a fairly disturbing show, uh, and in places that have made me feel a little bit ill, but kind of funny nonetheless. And I mean, Daybreak's looking pretty good. Be interesting to see how they go with that. Are you a Stranger Things fan at all? Um, oh yeah, Stranger Things. So first season, Stranger Things, absolutely phenomenal. Second season was a bit off. It was a bit different. Yeah, wishy-washy. Third season, third season was back to being very good. They, they, I think they had a stronger concept for third season. That, um, yeah, with a whole. Yeah. Have oh you yeah. Seen we're it? caught up. I don't want to. No, no, I don't no. want to be given spoilers. <laughs> spoilers here. for anyone so, who hasn't seen the, the um, whole season two or three of uh, Stranger Things, because <laughs> um, I think if you haven't, you really need to stop and actually go watch it because it is. So phenomenal! All that that ending, like, oh my god! Like I said, spoilers. But Brandon and I, I'm gonna tell you what we were both in sniffles that end of that season with the letter of three. Man, yeah. that fucked me up too. <laughs> but it was mm-hmm. it was very nice. Yes, yeah, I think season three sort of had a a stronger idea. The season two, I felt it was sort of almost like one of those ones as I said, where season one was done as a bit experimental. And they went, oh, shit, that was actually popular. We better come up with something for number mm-hmm. two. And so they knocked out number two, and they're sort of exploring, feeling out how they're going to work it. And number three, they sort of went, okay, yep, that's that's the mythology, that's the universe, that's the way it's going to work. And they, they hit back solid with number three. Did you see that teaser released for Valentine's Day this year for uh, Stranger Things Season 4? Shit. No. Oh man. Oh fuck. All right. I don't. I honestly don't know. Um. It. You just need to watch it. I'll. I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll just leave this, listeners and Surrey. You need to see the teaser. Um. You just need to see it. Okay. I've got it sitting here on Google. Just wait for me to hit play <laughs> when this stops. Um. Actually, another series has great Rick and Morty. Now, I, I have Brendan has seen the first season. She has begged me to watch it, and I promise you it's on my to-do list because everybody talks about it, and I mean, like, everybody. Um, it looks funny. It just hasn't been I, on I my can see top would, list right now. I can see it would be quite polarizing. There'd be definitely people who would just watch it and go, I, it's too much. Uh, because it's, it, it packs a lot into every episode. Uh, it's quite intense in the way it presents uh, the scripts and so, so forth. So there'd be, I've, I can see a lot of people just sort of just go, oh, it's, just, it's just too much, um, too over the top. But for me, I'm that's just perfect. I'm trying to go perfect. back. I have been watched so much shit over these past few years, but I think, like, to me, the and I, I will give the heads off, um, Punisher still has, like, my heart on the, to me, the best Netflix series. And that's just me. That's just me. Um, and, of course, Daredevil. Pretty much all the Defenders. I mean, they... I, I thoroughly enjoy the Defender series, and I hate that they're gone, but man, did I love them. You're a bit of a superheroes oh, yeah. fan? Um, 
You like your Marvel, superhero stories? All, Marvel for sure. Um, really, really catched me, and, and I, I'm and like I said, and this is saying as a Marvel fan, I am actually pretty glad that um, HBO is kind of announcing that they're dabbling in some of the DC with the Green Lanterns and um, anything else that they're they're doing. I cannot remember off the top of my head, but um, you know they're going to have some of the little DC stuff on there as they start out with their streaming as well. Yeah, as long as they don't follow up what some of the earlier DC stuff was trying to do with the, the Superman and Batman, that was just really boring. Like the Dark Knight stuff with, with yeah, Christopher Nolan, fantastic. And then they did this, uh, who was it, um, Ben Affleck, Batman, and then Henry Cavill as Superman. And, yeah, he's just sort of that... Uh, it's dragged on a bit. Like, it was kind of... See, at least the Marvel ones... I'm not a real fan of, of superhero stuff in general, but at least the Marvel ones kind of had a sense of fun to them as well and a bit a bit more comic book. Um, yeah, I, I suppose wasn't taking itself super seriously, whereas the DC stuff seemed to try and be really serious. But there's only so serious you can be when you're dealing with superhero characters because superhero characters are in general silly like if you were to see these things in real life like Superman wearing this ridiculous underpants on the outside of a jumpsuit you're sort of like you see someone doing that and it's a bit weird so if you have if you try to make it really serious drama with someone wearing that outfit doing these things you can't help but sort of think it's, it's just a bit weird. It's like, it's like you see music mm-hmm. videos where rock and roll stars are looking real cool, you know, and they're, they're doing stuff. And then you see someone wearing their outfit out in the street and you still look at them and go, yeah, just outside of the context of a music video, it just weird. looks... <laughs> yeah, like you, you're wearing a costume. You know, it doesn't look like you're actually... If you don't you, look authentic. If you had a pick, uh, a favorite superhero from both DC and Marvel um, what would they be? Um, I know you're not big on it but if you had to choose am, am I allowed to say Deadpool? Yeah he's Marvel because I, I love I love Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool it's uh, I actually found Deadpool mm-hmm. 2 as yeah, it's a far more of a, uh, an emotional roller coaster and greater investment than any of the other sort of DC sort of attempts at being <laughs> emotional or deep. You know, like, I, I, and I think it was that case there that he's basically, that whole movie is not really, there are serious moments in it, but it's not taken seriously. There's kind of that recognition that the situation and the characters and what they're saying and doing are just a little bit silly and i want to give really some sort way. of defense some sort some sort of defense to dc on a little bit of stage with the movies is that man of steel um the first henry cavill superhero movie i i do stand by the movie i do stand by a particular scene with his mother that um really stuck out to me to this day um you know when when he had flown back to her about um some shit that had gone wrong, you know, in his side of the world and everything that was going on, you know, and, you know, and she just flat out told him, you know, you know, and, and I guess to quote the movie and in the best of ways, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. You don't owe this world or anything. You know, I mean, 
to me that was like that was a really good emotional pull on that on that fucking movie just that particular at least that scene and then i mean like i said the man of steel movie i i will say i think they did pretty good but um i'm also not the big the biggest on dc but the Man of Steel movie and on Superman in general, but the Man of Steel movie, I, I, it just really, it really captured me. But then when they, yeah, when they butcher the rest, it, I mean, I, I don't have any stance on that. Yeah, I, I guess the my second favorite would be like mm. X Men. They're they're quite good movies, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in general. I think because they're sort of, again, there was there was. I wouldn't say it was anything terribly lighthearted, but there was kind of that recognition that things are a little bit uh, um, weird. Also, I also I agree that if those sort of mutants did occur, there would inevitably be conflict with exactly. humanity. Just because you get that situation, uh, you seen the movie Hancock? Yes, uh, I really like that movie too. <laughs> Well, you get that that situation where you know Hancock is this well, mm. like Superman sort of person character, which means you know he he smashes a bunch of stuff and the police come to arrest him, but they're kind of like, well, we right. can't really. Uh, he's totally above the law. He's because what you're going to put him in prison and well, he's only going to be there if he wants to mm-hmm. be there. And so as a result, as it turned out, Hancock wanted to be a good person. But you're going to get characters like Magneto, who don't want to be. They want to be a good person, but they see that they have to have this struggle. They've got to bring it out in the open. They've got to have this fight because you can't. You're just going to be at some point. Someone's going to try and enforce a rule on a mutant and say, "Hey, you can't be doing that." And the mutant is just going to say, "Look, why the hell am I listening to you? You're like a an ant, an insignificant." nothing compared to me right i don't have to do anything you say and then of course they're going to say well i'm going to have to try and put my foot down and make it so that you do have to do what i say and it's going to be no fine i'll just you know boom there's trouble as conflict has happened uh so it's it's an inevitable thing that if if you only had one or two mutants yeah, you'd probably find them able to live in with society, but if you're getting some fair proportion of the population having these mutant powers, you're going to get, you will end up with some sort of conflict and then it will become an us first thing, them, because they're human, you've got to realize, well, now, yeah, they will yeah, conquer us. And what sort of world, what place are we going to have in a world with superhumans? We're going to be the. You know the 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 dregs, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't, I, don't, I unless you're one of those mutants who could just I don't know can change their hair color or something useless like that, or just you know change your body. All in all, I mean, they're uh, mutants, man. It's it's crazy the the things they came up with for them, you know, and. And a lot of them, like, I, my, to me, my favorite mutant in general is Storm. I mean, I do love Wolverine. Don't get me wrong. Like, Old Man Logan and, and Wolverine storyline in general. I mean, they're, they're both, to me, appealing in comics, movies, and everything. But Storm, man, her powers and um, what I know of her backstory, it, it just, it really it really captured me in a sense of, like, you know, that that's the that's the mutant that I look forward to um, in anything, X-Men. 
is to see where she's at with her stuff. Yeah, I really liked Magneto. <laughs> uh, because he's sort of a... He's a villain, mm-hmm. not a villain. You know, he, he genuinely wants good for people. It's just he can't see how he can have good for humans and good for mutants at the same time. And so, since he's a mutant, then he'll do good for the mutants sort of thing. Uh, so, it's, as a result, I think he's, he's just got that sort of added complexity, which means he's not just this sort of cardboard cutout, I'm a villain, ha ha ha, which is it's always a bit tiresome when you sort of go, well, but why are you a villain? You know, I want to rule the world. Congratulations, you now rule the world. Now mm. what? Um, well, that's it, really. Okay. I've always thought, yeah, if you, if you get some super thing, it's, oh, I want to rule the world. We should just, as a world, just say, okay, you are now the ruler of the world. Now what? <laughs> just let, just be like, all right, now this is, um, what do you want us to do? Do you yeah. want a throne? We'll, we'll build you a throne and, and you want some people to worship you? Yeah, we'll take turns worshipping you if you like, <laughs> whatever. And then the whole rest of the world just gets on with whatever it's doing and, and this guy's just like, okay. Uh, I, I was sort of expecting a fight. Oh, you want to fight people? Oh, so you don't want to rule the world. You should have just said you want to fight people. Okay, let's set up an arena and we can... Of course, it's not going to be much of a challenge. We don't have anyone who can fight you. So, you know, you're going to be a bit lonely. So, yeah. um, being an author of a trilogy and, you know, um, an audio drama and, you know, several other podcasts, I, I guess the ultimate question to come with this is, do you ever see yourself wanting to write a superhero story? Oh, I already Ooh. have. Yes, it's called uh, Angel mm. Bones. And it is incomplete at this point, uh, as I need to I need to actually apply some proper planning Fair to it. One hundred percent. I've got I've got I got through uh, say two thirds of it and the the whole thing was inspired by this idea of waking up in a body bag on a pile of corpses that and of course that's this is what this superhero thing so yeah it's a superhero slash urban fantasy sort of thing it depends on how you want to look at it but it was it's taken from the point of view of, an, of a superhero this this guy uh who becomes he lives in this world where there are these supernatural creatures that have been called angels, though there's some confusion as to whether there's any religious nature to them at all, though there are religious sects that mm-hmm. worship them as angelic, you know, harbingers of, of various gods. Um, they are not well known, like there's only a few of these angels around, and so they're not... Um, they're not common knowledge. It's, it's not like the world just knows about them. And the world he's in also is of a an alternate timeline from sort of World War One through World War Two, such that um, there wasn't the Hitler that we know. And so Germany's expansion sort of stopped at a reasonable point before it became uh, such a big World War Two deal. Because yeah, World War Two really was brought about by the fact that Hitler didn't stop expanding. He took over half of Poland with an agreement with Russia and yeah, he annexed the, the bit of Austria and the um and a bit of 
a couple little bits of hungry and things a few little bits you sort of just basically said okay that's ours now and everyone went oh okay i guess so took over a bit of poland and they said again everyone kind of went oh well that's kind of between you guys uh, but then he he pushed on to take over the rest of poland and russia said hey that wasn't the deal we're going to fight you on that one and then and simultaneously he pushed too deep into um, France such that the UK got threatened and, you know, the whole World War II sort of kicked off. And obviously anyone who's listening who's an actual World War II historian, you'll probably say there's greater complexity than that. And of course there is, but that's not what I'm getting at. So in this, in this universe, um, Germany, Nazi Germany only, you know, sort of stopped at a reasonable boundary just before it went to World War II proper. As a result, though, there was still the French resistance, but because there was no World War II happening, and officially peace had been declared, then these French resistance underground fighters got labelled as terrorists. And so, in general, French uh, people got labelled as um, you know outsiders and terrorists. So in this in this world, there's kind of this extreme political boundaries. Uh, the uh, the communist revolution didn't quite happen the way it did before. You know, there wasn't this big movement across the world because it sort of stopped by the Nazis and the um, fascists of mm. Italy, who are so this sort of greater German Empire and the, and the Italians are still kind of all in control of a somewhat uh, extreme political view. And bringing into the world here, we've got the um, here in Australia we have this, I guess, issue of, and, and, and other places as well, have it as well, of asylum seekers. But here in Australia, we, we're getting people from Afghanistan and Syria and so forth. And there's a lot of concern about that because people are, you know, I suppose, misinformed as to the level of involvement in these conflicts that the people who arrive like in Like ISIS and um, Al-Qaeda and stuff. Yeah. So instead, though, we've got French people. French speakers turning up to Australia looking for asylum. And I'm just, yeah, so I'm sort of playing with that a little bit, sort of going, okay, so it's easy to be, um, you know, racist or culturalist, if you like, against people that, uh, say, with a browner colored skin, because you can you can visually see someone like they've got black hair, they've got the, 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 the browner colored skin, they're, they're from the Arab Peninsula or like Afghanistan or around there. It's, there's sort of a, an otherness to them. I'm casting them more as, here's the French people, Western European, if they're speaking English with an English accent, you wouldn't know that they were of French descent. And they're turning up looking for help and asylum, but they've been cast as terrorists because, you know, they're bombing Germany, and Germany is a, a recognised... Nazi Germany, the Third Reich, is actually a recognised nation in the United Nations, and these French people are fighting against them. And they're, they're also then doing strikes in other nations that are tolerating the Germans. Yeah, so, so there's this tension there uh, with the, the French, and then there's also like this... So then the Catholics are coming out of... The Italian, the Vatican, so forth, is in a fascist nation. And in amongst this now, you've got this concept of uh, angels. And there's an angel arrives in Australia, basically. And there's uh, a group of Catholic 
uh, order that seems to be working with supporting it's it's not clear as to what they're actually doing with this angel but then there's also a, a group of people that uh, oppose the angels because the angels invariably are destructive they're not or at least the ones that we know about are destructive so there's a, a group fighting them and what they're trying to do here and the reason it's called angel bones is they actually when the angels die they found a way of normally they sort of burst into flames and expel a whole bunch of explosion energy type stuff they managed to find a way to preserve their bones and they're trying to infuse uh they their bones um matter with human to form like a hybrid in order to be able to have a chance of actually fighting these angels because these angels are, are really powerful and along comes our unwitting hero who much like peter parker he's is a bit awkward, he's having a bit of trouble, and he ends up being experimented on and becomes uh, you know, a superhero as a result. But it's all kind of a little bit unusual because he gets experimented on because he is thrown in front of a train Shit. <laughs> by, by some people. And then he's, he's declared brain dead at the hospital and his sister has to yeah, sign a thing to say, pull his plug and his, you know, his organs can be donated and his body's going to science. Uh, Cause she goes, she's a, a pharmacist and she goes, yeah, this is a, and it was actually his drug dealer as well. In a matter of speaking, I say in a matter of speaking because the, she's supplying the drugs cause he's got some mental health issues. So she was doing off prescription medication right. for him and yeah so it's, it's not like he, he wasn't a recreational drug user type of thing he was self-medicating and so yeah so he ends up then yeah they all think that he dies and they do this experimentation on him and they it fails like every other experiment before them and hence he wakes up in a body bag it actually turns out it didn't fail just took a bit longer to, to work than I thought. So he wakes up in a body bag, transported in a truck full of other failed infusion experiments. And yeah, and there's a, a bikey gang and this sort of Catholic cult led by this mysterious nun, woman, and, uh, and a, sort of a, a drug gang seems to be being taken over by this angel uh, and there's a police investigation and anyway it all goes on from there so i have yet to i've got to go back i wrote this a, a little while ago and i'm i'm coming back to it and having developed a a means for plotting and planning having done a bit of research and learned how to write plots and stories and things i'm actually restructuring it now according to my method and we'll be hopefully releasing it later That's this year. Awesome! I look forward to it. I, I like the I like the the uh, the world you've kind of built off of this with the Nazi Germany thing. I <coughs> I, 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 I like that concept. I, I really look forward to this. Um, did you ever? And I know this is again off going off another beat, but it kind of reminds me. Did you ever dabble with the uh, Wolfenstein series? Oh yeah, I've played all. Uh, I think there's a. A more recent one that um, I haven't played. Shit, the one with the, his daughters uh, or his or the daughters' friends. Oh, shit, I know, Young Blood, I believe, is the recent one. Yeah, so so yeah, I did obviously the original Wolfenstein, yeah, Wolfenstein 3D, and then 
the Return of Castle mm-hmm. Wolfenstein, and there was an expansion of that one, I think, as well. But then there's uh, the more recent one that I no, came I in played. on the New Colossus, I believe. Or oh, was there one before New Colossus? Um, no, yeah, no. Whichever, which one was first? Was it New Colossus or New Order? Whichever one of those, I, I came in and I, I really enjoyed. I mean, I play, I dabbled with it a little bit when it was on the older consoles, but I, I didn't get to actually put more energy into it until later on. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy the series, and, I, and like I said, I, it, that's what kind of gives me an idea. I like the idea, and I know this is fucked up to say, but the idea of uh, of the world, basically, basically in Huntsman, like the World War is still going on, no matter how you put. It. I mean it. It's still a, a really fucked up but kind of interesting concept to think of. Yeah, because I, I was intrigued when I was researching World War Two and you know what sort of started it and the rise of Nazi power. Mm-hmm. And it was intriguing. I sort of because when I was reading along, up to a point, whilst the Nazi regime was was ruthless and was sort of annexing nations there was up to there was a certain tipping point where it was just it was just kind of a yeah a bit of a a, a ruthless political system like it wasn't properly dark yet and it, this is where my my thoughts are I thought what if it stopped at that point there where yeah you look at them kind of go eh, they're a bit rough and they're kind of heavy-handed but there is some boundary there that it wasn't, you know, if there weren't complete psychopaths in some key positions, because I've, I've done some further research on some of the, the, the key political figures and uh, military leaders, and some of them were distinctly psychotic, like beyond the pale, not just being uh, Machiavellian, but actually evil, if, if for, for lack of a better term. And I, and I don't like to use that term very much because it's, uh, but yeah, it's just, it was really wrong, but there was up to a certain point. There was a sort of a tipping point before that. If they'd stopped at that point and not been totally mm-hmm. crazy, then they they would have actually probably expanded the borders of Germany and solidified uh, a powerful, like a superpower. Right. Like their industrial output was was cranked right up. Their national fervor was was right in there. People were willing to put in the hours to you know make Germany. To, and I hate to say this, but make I knew Germany that was great coming. again. <laughs> we deserved that. We deserved that. Yeah. But yeah, like if they stopped at that point, then they that sort of you know you could go. Oh, it's not a great way of doing things, but it's true. They have grown, but the thing is, they didn't stop at that point. They they kept going and went, you know, full full Nazi as opposed to just being a bit heavy-handed, if you will, and. And so I was intrigued with the idea, well, what if they did stop there and had pushed, you know, say, say France was, was one of these nations in particular that sort of got um, heavily taken by the, 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 the Nazis, heavily affected them were even before what you might call the actual outbreak of World War II, you know, where all the allies started coming in. What if it stopped there and they were calling, you know, basically asking for help, but being ignored because it's kind of like, well, you know, Germany's a sovereign state and they're not actively pursuing a war against you. And I think we can come to diplomatic solutions. And the French are going, yes, but the diplomatic solutions are not going to get us our freedom back. 
all the diplomatic solutions will be aimed at just making us citizens of Germany, which is not what we want. And so naturally they would then, you know, if people get pushed to this at a point, they invariably fight. And if you're fighting a war in a, in a warlike fashion, but not whilst war is declared, then you are basically terrorists. And particularly because the French wouldn't have the backing of their own military because their military machine would have been dismantled by the uh, whatever conventions would have been brought into place, then, yeah, you're going to end up with the same situation you have with, uh, say, Afghanistan and, and uh, places like that where they don't have a legitimate... Uh, like a, People who, who disagree with the overriding government don't have a legitimate outlet for change because it doesn't matter how much they protest or how much they because it doesn't matter how much they protest or how much they may be perceived to be ignored. Uh, you get a generation of people doing that and you're going to get a generation of very grumpy people who see the only possible solution as a violent solution. And I thought that was very interesting then because uh, you'd end up with, you know, Western European white people being looked down upon by other Western European white people. And it becomes that peculiar situation because it's very easy when someone looks very different from you or comes from a very different culture where there's, you know, strong language barriers and uh, historical um, differences which, which are hard to understand. It's very easy to sort of make someone as, as other. You know, they're, they're something else. They're not us. And, yeah, because here in Australia we get that a lot with... And I'm sorry to make this sort of sound a bit political, but I, I, it's more of a, it's more the philosophical mm. segregations that we put in our own mind. But here in Australia, for example, there's often news story about, oh, China is buying up farmland in Australia, and people go, oh my God, China's taking up. You go, well, they actually aren't the major, the majority owner of Australian farmland that aren't Australian is the UK. But nobody complains about that because. Well, they're white, <laughs> you know. In fact, we've even got the Union Jack as part of our flag. So, sure, they, they own 17 or 20% of our farmland or something, but that's okay because they're white. <laughs> China owns 7%. Oh, my God, they're, they're taking over. We're losing it. And you sort of, yeah, you end up with that. Uh, it's just sort of a, a philosophical thing mm. people have that they don't, they fear what they don't know and they don't even want to look at and you can imagine the native Australians the Aborigines here would be going well you guys took all of our farmland office you know (laughs) you're taken over but you're not listening to us so whatever yeah so I'm I'm sort of all that sort of uh, imagery and stuff going to this superhero story to make a, a a setting that is full of I suppose a heightened paranoia and dis, you know, dissonance where people are, are just don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I figure that's a, a good setting to have. And, and that's like the, the X-Men sort of has that where X-Men tends to be set after mutants have been revealed and, and people just don't know. Again, the mutants are coming out. They, they could be your brother, your sister, your, your parents... Uh, the neighbour down the street, there's not like a a defined nationality or a, or an obvious visible clue 
or even a language clue where you'd say, oh, all the people that speak with a Canadian accent, they're mm-hmm. all mutants. You know, no, only, well, Logan is a Canadian, but and he's a mutant, but most of the other Canadians aren't. And that guy over there is from Texas. He's also a mutant. And that one there from Nigeria is a mutant. You know, you can't pick them, as it were. So I liked, I liked that from the X-Men, and so I sort of like to use it myself. I, I, I said I, I I like I like this idea and I like where you're going with it and um I'm very interested to hear to hear where you go next with that um so you know with that being said you know that's something else you're finishing what else um now that we actually have a leg start in 2020 where else is 2020 taking you and um Gravity Undone and even your wife with the skateboarding what what do you guys have to look forward to this year? Uh, well, one thing I'm doing is a lot more marketing of gravity undone and by marketing i mean um just getting getting the name out there so the idea of gravity undone is to inspire creators who create inspiring works right yeah i want to be able to help people make stuff that i like (laughs) it's it's a bit selfish in that sense yeah uh but but yeah, I, I get into I read people's books and watch these movies and play these computer games and listen to music and it yeah, you and I'm sure you have the same experience. You come across something that just fills you with with inspiration. You you just you've got to talk about it or do something about it. And I love that. And I want I want to encourage people to be able to do that. So other creators to be able to come along. And Gravity Undone is at its concept about doing right. that. The problem, of course, is at the moment, there's not a lot that Gravity Undone has to offer uh, in that I say, yeah, yeah, come and, come and create with Gravity Undone. And they'll say, yes, but amongst all the options I have for things or, or groups or, you know, whatever, why Gravity Undone? And at the moment, I sort of say, well, because I like you, is that good enough? You know, like, so I I need to have a bit of a bit of reach, uh, a bit of a name, a bit of a brand, if you will, so that if I say to someone, "Come along with Gravity Undone as a as your partner in in creating inspiring things," they they should look and go, "Yes, you're going in the direction that I want. You've got a bit of recognition. If we partner up, then I'm getting some inspiration and help and recognition from you, and you're getting some from me, and it all works." So I've got to establish a bit of that, and that's where I'm writing these blog series. I'm uh, I'm hitting like sort of Twitter and, and Facebook a bit more with with what I like to think is is actually sort of a helpful or insightful or useful bits of information to sort of which works with mm-hmm. the undone, and that's leading towards uh, I'm writing a a book actually about based on on my experience of coming from trying to write books back it would have been seven years ago so back just before i had kids i was writing this fantasy series and so i was writing the first book and it's something i'd been thinking about and working with for years prior to that many years and it took me uh, it took me say about three years to write this first book and that included chucking away i I probably thrown 30 45,000 words away easily and chopping and changing. And I rewrote the whole thing three times and went over it. And it's just, it's still, it's just, you know, 
I look at it and I go, it's got potential. Like it, it's, it is a good thing basically, but it's just not presented and it's just not working quite right. And then I wrote some of these other books. I wrote, I wrote some other stories, including this Angel Bones one. And again, I sort of got to a certain point where I went, oh, I'm just not, I'm not getting it. Like I spent years doing these things and not getting anything that worked. Uh, so I, I went on hiatus and you know, raised some kids for a little bit and did a whole bunch of research looking into how, how to actually create a story and using, you know, and sort of developed a process which I used to create Exit Plan and write then the Exit Plan novels. So I wrote the audio drama, three seasons and the three novels in about a year as opposed to taking three years to write one. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that Exit Plan is the be-all and end-all of greatness, but I do believe it is a satisfying story. It it achieves everything that needs to be achieved in a story in order to go from one place through to... Uh, I'm not sure how emotional the ending is, but I felt something when I was writing it, so that's nice. Uh, I'm yet to get feedback on that. Um, and so, and, and, then, and then even then the point of publishing, I went, okay, I can put this out to publishers, traditional publishers, but that's going to take... Yeah, even if the first agent I query picks up my stuff, it could still be another two years if everything goes right before my book is in print. And I thought, well, wait, that's just a waste of my two years. I could be doing other stuff in the meantime. So I went self-publishing on that. And then so I had to learn a whole bunch more stuff, you know, about how you format your book for that, how you do all these bits and pieces. So if all of that I'm now putting into a, a textbook, a reference, which is you know, how to write a novel and self-publish it from how you come up with an idea to how you make sure that it's novel length and the plot all works so that the exciting bits happen at the right time. You get the ups and downs, the highs and lows. All of that can be worked out and you can do it in an efficient manner. So you're not spending literally, like I did, years and throwing away work. And then through to actually how do you get a bit of software to write this in and how do you format it and how do you make it so it can be published. So that whole thing can be in this book. And I'm, I'm hoping that then will be, as I said, this sort of... Uh, Gravion Dunn's value that it can provide to authors is, look, here's, uh, I've already spent years figuring out a way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I know there's information out there, but this is, this is a very prescriptive step-by-step book, as in, just follow this process, write this down, do this, do that, come up with something that does that. Do this now. Format it like this, okay, and write in the details. Now you've got a book that works, because uh, a lot of the uh, resources for writing, uh, so many of them things like, oh well, it can do whatever you want. You can start wherever you want. Here's some general guidelines. You know like, that's nice, but when you're new and you're starting out, you you need certainly I do, and I know there's a lot of people out there like this. Need to be told do this. Uh, and because when you do it the first time, according to this process, you'll go, oh, oh, okay, now I get it all. I can come up with my own way of doing it, which will be effective. But it's often helpful to have a, 
some example to, you know, a tutorial, if you like, to walk through your first book. And you've written a book and you go, hey, okay, no, I get that. Okay, I'm going to tweak things a little bit here and there to suit my own um, niche or my own values or, or whatever it is you want to do. But prior to that, you know, you know, I found myself so often just going, like, what font should I use? And then there's people discussing different fonts and they're like, no, just tell me a font. And so I've, I've got that. I was like, use this font this point size, this line spacing, these margins, this page format and layout, this is your chapter style, set like, bang, if you do that, you will have a book that looks like the other books in the bookshop. Because of course you can, you can change fonts and things based on your own personal preferences, but if you don't know how to make it work in the first place, how are you supposed to know how to make your personal preferences work? So that's the idea of this book, is it's, it's a step-by-step, -step. if you do all of these steps in this order, you will have a book that works. Whether it's a really good book or not, yeah, that's kind of up to your own skill level and so forth, but it'll, it'll hit the right plot points, it will be the right length, it will be formatted correctly. You know, you'll be able to present it to someone confident that it is actually a working book. And um, from there, of course, you'll, you'll have now gained the experience of writing a book and formatting it, yeah, that's where you start now having an informed position to make these artistic that's decisions. That's awesome. Uh, um, so do you have a projection date on when you think you'll be done with this um, this, this book of yours? Oh, jeez. Yeah, Hardest question, I was question, optimistic huh? initially. I was opti optimistic initially, thinking it would take me three months. But uh, let me see. So it was... I'm probably probably about halfway through now, so probably um, April, coming into May, would be where I'd be knowing when I'm going to have it published. Yeah, so it's it turns out it's it's a more complicated process writing a non-fiction book, uh, particularly a textbook, because you know I need to have uh, some references in there and some sidebar notes and um, then there's a whole process. So I could write another book about how to write a textbook, I suppose. <laughs> because that's the problem I'm facing now, is that you try and find a resource on how to write this type of a book, and there's very little solid, just do this and it will work. And then you you get that working, and then you can start messing about. You've gone, since I've met you, you've gone from having an audio drama to not only having, you know, uh, as here, uh, in another podcast for you and your co-host, there are, a, you know, you guys talk about um, the 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 facts behind the scientifics of science sci-fi movies as such, and you know you've gone that you you started doing your my creativity where you, you sit down sometimes you have a guest including you've had myself on in the past and a few other exciting guests, um, and you know each week you talk about you break down the the so many different concepts I never thought about with uh, you know in general being creative you know whether it's with books podcasts or anything in general. Um, you know, you have valid points to that, and then you dabbled in actually starting releasing some of your books. I mean, you've gone so far with Gravity Undone since I met you, and then, you know, and personalized is on Gravity Undone because of you know of the creation I've seen from you, and and um and become uh I guess you could say a fan of the some of the things you put out and stuff, and um you know working alongside you and said you know I, I would want to try to have 
something representative by the things you do. And, um, you know, and that's where you are now. It's just, you have done so much and it, it it's got to feel right getting up in the morning thinking of everything you have, you have accomplished so far in, in your creation. And I know you are far from done. I am indeed far from done. And thank you for your, your kind words. Yeah, ultimately, as I said, Grab Down Done has got to move into supporting other people being creative because I want to be inspired by other people uh, doing inspiring things. And a part of that will be... So I'm, I'm currently working on some kind of an app to connect fans and creators in a... In a what I might call it a frictionless mm-hmm. manner. Because one of the problems is that as a creator you want you want a bit of support right. because it's 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 a hard slog you know working for hours days going into years creating your vision of whatever it is whether it be painting or music or audio dramas novels short videos and yeah you, you sort of need a bit of support on that because um well it's not easy to go that long without getting a bit of help, whether that be financial or uh, just kind words or marketing or whatever. So I'm trying to find a way, and, and I think one of the reasons for that is that uh, I know as a fan of various um, creators, I want to support them in general, but I'm looking thinking, if I would have shall, you know, forecast, say, five bucks a month, on everyone that I wanted mm-hmm. to support, I would have no money because I would be, I would basically be paying exactly. so much money. And the other problem, even when I do find that, is you've got to then... It's never a simple situation of just pressing a button and going, yes, help this person. It's always... There's always, ah, oh, now create your account and do this and fill in these details and now we're going to track you and advertise to you and uh, you know it's, it's a whole rigmarole involved and you just you really just want to give a bit of a shout out to someone and say hey you're doing good work i love it mm-hmm. keep going so i'm trying to i'm i'm coming up with this uh an app which will be the gravity undone app which is a way of allowing fans to support creators in ways other than by money and that's because even though you know five bucks someone will go at lunchtime and on a whim pay an extra five dollars for a chocolate milk or something i don't know what costs five dollars these days (laughs) but if you were to say how about you just chuck an extra five dollars to vincent there while you know you you loved his book why don't you buy him a coffee, you know? And there's, there is coffee.com, which does this sort of thing. And people go, ah, oh, yeah, mm, uh, because it's kind of, it's sort of a difficult choice. So I'm trying to make an app which makes an easy choice, non-monetary support, which nonetheless provides genuine value to creators and, you know, supports them and helps them be inspiring and do all that sort of thing. Um, and I'm just working through some of the difficulties of that. And, uh, I mean, because one thing that creators love is word of mouth. And so many people are introduced to books and movies and songs because their friends say, hey, this is a good one. So I'm, I'm looking more along those lines there where fans can help promote 
they're, what they're a fan of in a way that is in line with what the creator wants to be promoted as. Because it would be terrible, for example, for my Angel Bones book to be promoted as being, you know, hey, here's something that supports the concept of Nazi supremacy. And you're like, well, no, that's not my message. That's not my message. Oh, yes, yes, but you just said that, you know, the Nazis were successful. I said, no, not quite. That's not... Don't say that. I don't want you to say that about it. I want you to talk about the heroic aspects of the characters involved, not about some plot point of the historical background, you know. So, and and, and that's sort of an extreme. I don't really think anyone would actually do that. But you can see that, though, uh, as a creator, you, you do want to be able to say, hey, tell people about my good stuff. But you also want to say, tell them about this. Tell them about that. This is sort of the good stuff that's going to give people a better idea of what I'm into and what my works will be in the future. And, um, yeah, there's not sort of a way of that communication yet. And the difficult part I'm having is trying to make that as easy as possible to get into. Because as someone who wants to support a creator, again, you, as soon as you start putting barriers in place, you know, okay, now sign up here. Now tick this box to not get spam, but you're going to get it anyway. And because here at Gravity, I'm very, I'm very much uh, um, avoiding going down a business model of advertising. I mean, yes, promoting my uh, the Gravity Undone message and artist, but not selling um, selling people's details right. for money. Yeah, which is what you do when when you when you host ads. What you're doing is saying, I've got you know 50 people or 50,000 people who are the sort of people that like um, McDonald's Happy Meals. So, hey, McDonald's, pay me $1,000 each week and I will tell people about it, how good it is. And instantly there, I'm now creating content to attract more people to like McDonald's rather than creating content to inspire people who enjoy science fiction, fantasy and adventure. And I want to keep the focus on creating the, you know, the science fiction, fantasy, and the adventure, the the, the sort of creative works that that makes people glow and and want to be better people. That's what I want to promote, not a car dealership. Nothing against the people who have chosen the business model to promote other businesses. I mean, that's that's a different approach. This is what Gravity Undone is about. Is about creators inspiring creative works so I, I and i think advertising as part of my business model goes against that so notion. you know um with that being said as the episode dies down you know and you know we're discussing uh you know helping creators and in, in showing you know the concept of, of not selling out your listeners or um or your fans uh for the profit but more for it to promote the idea of creation um, is there any personalized advice you could give um, to a listener right now of someone who's starting out as a book author or a podcaster, someone who is just gradually stepping into the shoes you've been filling these past couple of years and have been, have been, have been trying to, to get their name out as much as you have? Yeah, the most important thing to remember, and it is difficult, which is why not everyone is doing it, is the reason a person... I'm going to say two things, but this is the main one. The reason a 
person, any given random person, will pay attention to you and will um, support or like or follow or whatever is if you are providing some sort of value into their life. So the difference between saying, hey, I've written a book about superheroes, please buy it, and people go, yeah, whatever, versus, versus um, here's a, a short paragraph, which is very, you know, sort of a, an emotional inner monologue of the main character. And that's it. Someone will read that and go, oh, that was pretty cool. What else does this guy do? Because there's, there's, no, there's no sales call to action. There's no, now buy my book. Because people go, you have just cheapened your message. So the value you've got to provide is, um, you know, something that people will enjoy and something that's easy for them to get a hold of. Because uh, value is basically benefits divided by price. And price is not just a dollar value. It is every you know, mental decision, every cost associated with trying to get the benefits. So if you minimize the price, i.e. you uh, not only blog, but then you tweet and you Facebook and you Instagram, which lead back to your blog, you're making it very easy for people to get at your content. So that's reducing the price. But then the, con the content itself needs to have benefits. So you can't be, hey, I'm great, buy my stuff. It has to be, here is something that's going to enrich your life in some small way. That's going to equal the value they receive, more likely they are to work in your favor. Whether that be talk nice things about you, uh, look at your site, um, buy your stuff, whatever. And the other thing I want to say, which is a strange lesson I learned in doing a, a bit of research into somewhat dark topics, looking at, as I said, World War II, looking at um, cult leaders like Jim Jones and the Heaven's Gate and um, a couple of these other sort of things, and, and even today less extreme situations of uh, political movements like Brexit and um, you know, the whole controversy around Trump and so forth, is if you want to get strong followers, people who will uh, endorse you and support you, one way of doing that is to hold, to figure out what your values are and then hold very strongly to those values. And you can see that where um, political leaders, and, and let's, let's talk about America, you've got, say, Bernie Sanders has strong messages about his, um, his view on social equity and so forth, but he tries to be too reasonable about it. As a result, yeah, you'll get people generally agreeing with him and you'll get people generally disagreeing with him, but you're not going to get the fervent, raving fans that go, yes, he is the saviour. But if you have a look at Trump... He's very strong in what his position is. And he says seemingly outrageous things. Yeah, he does. Which causes a division. And so you get people for one side who just go, no, Trump is the best thing that has ever happened to America. In fact, he might be blessed by God. You know, I've 
I've seen actual like that's a that's an extreme level, but you can see you get this very strong uh, following. But then on the other side of it, you get the very strong anti-Trump. The problem is the people who are strong anti-Trump because they're repeating his extreme message. They're actually getting more people to follow him, right? Whereas on the other side of the, the political spectrum, I said, say Bernie Sanders, which is almost like an anti, an opposite of Trump. He's not making these extreme sorts of outrageous policy statements. He'll say something which is is quite different to the current political situation, but he's still couching it in very reasonable terms. You know, he's going, here's here's some research which supports this and, and this, and here's these other countries which have done this and it has worked, and I think it will work here. And so you can sort of say, yeah, it's basically kind of a... Uh, it's a very different to a lot of um, historical American politics, but never once does he say uh, we're going to build a, a, a confinement camp and we're going to take all the one percenters from Wall Street and put them in there and then milk them for their money. You know, he doesn't say that. But if he says something like that, he would get really strong, fervent supporters who just go, "Yes, that's what we've been waiting for." Someone to bloody kick show it to the man you know and then you get the other people on the other side of this thing going you can't do that you know, that'll destroy america and as they try to explain how that'll destroy america more and more people will hear that and go that, i'm going to find out what this bernie guy is all about and so and this is the way cult leaders operate you know um hitler would say and again i'm not trying to draw comparisons here i'm just using extreme examples of, of situations in order to illustrate a point so let's not get excited by these things but yeah he would make these extreme and outrageous claims about you know relatively non-specific claims but still extreme and outrageous which would make people either totally hate what he has to say or totally love what he has to say and the thing is the totally love means he has this strong core of followers but the the totally hate there's no one mopping them up no one making the same but opposite extreme comments to suck up those people and your cult leaders as well they'll go um they don't just sort of say okay jesus loves you and forgives you and you'll get into heaven you go yeah yeah okay that's whatever they'll say i am jesus i am the only one who loves you i am the only way to get into heaven and so then you're going to get some division you're going to get you know um moderates who just go that's just outrageous you are blasphemous and sacrilegious blah but you only get those people who go finally now i know where jesus is (laughs) you know now i know there's actually someone i can go and talk to and get saved whereas the mainstream religion is just kind of um you know he's everywhere he's always watching you and you know nope the cult leader says i am it and bingo they get a strong following so how this relates then to someone creating, say, writing a book or making writing music or something, is if you can identify what you value in your creativity, find out what your position is of that and be really strong on that, then you're going to get people who hate you for it. And hopefully you've chosen a, a value or a position which isn't, you know, morally <laughs> corrupt. But uh, yeah, like for example, you might well sort of say, the only valid music is 
rock and roll music that follows the 12-bar blues pattern. That is the ultimate music. Everything else is mm. garbage. You will get people go, yes, the blues, awesome. Yes, hurrah, bang. And you'll get people go, you're just an idiot. You don't know anything. But there's no one picking up the you're an idiot people, but you're picking up all the people who agree with you. And so you get this strong core of people who will then support you. And that will give you your follower base, which will let you, I suppose, amplify your voice. The trick then is to um, soften it before you go and self-destruct. Because eventually if you follow your hard line for too long, you've, you can't go, you start going more and more extreme and you'll end up thinking that the only valid, not thinking, but you know, you'll be stating the only valid music is the music that has exactly 12 notes in it and is exactly only one snare drum and one bass guitar and that's it. You end up with something really stupid that even the most hardcore of your devoted fans just sort of goes, you've lost it. So you've got to soften the message, but you start off with something strong that people can grab hold of and people can love you for. You've got to ignore the haters and just believe that if they're shouting about how much you're wrong, they're just getting your message out to more people who will make their own decisions. So yeah, that's, that's my two bits of advice. Value and then work out your message and that was, say it That strong. was the way of reaching it. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I thank you so much for, for that. And I really hope, you know, the, the, the listeners took that with a grain of salt and just, you know, realize, you know, it's, this is coming from somebody who, who has done what you've done or, or has um, done what you are, are trying to do. You know, um, this is somebody who has things out there who, who is on the creative spectrum, you know, like, you know, heed his words and listen, you know, um, it's not easy to come by, you know, trying to, trying to actually accomplish something that you could try something all day long but um once you do it you're gonna look back and realize you know the, the way you the path you took and maybe the mistakes you made and maybe the mistakes you didn't made and you know and think to yourself you know what 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 would have happened if i'd have taken this route what would not have happened if i did you know um so just just take that in mind and just remember you know it's not a race you, you know do it how you want to do it but make sure it's done you know it's done the right way Yes, yes, you've got to be uh, effective and um, kind, just in case people thought that maybe you should be brutal and ruthless. I don't think you should be brutal and ruthless. I think you should be kind, just strong in your kindness. Um, so, yeah, uh, with that being said, thank you so much, sir. No worries, thanks a lot. This episode features Surrey Hughes. Want more of Surrey? Go to Amazon.com slash Surrey Hughes and find more on his website, gravityundone.net, where you'll find other podcasts such as My Creativity, Personalized, and Space Brains. Also, follow us on social media, along with sharing your favorite episodes, following the guests, and leaving us reviews on platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Links provided in the show notes below. Be sad. And in my 
I thought they were a pile of junk when I first got them. Then they seemed a door to a new life, a new way of living. Now they feel like an albatross around my neck. I made myself a part of their crime. So I've been cursed. I've stared at the books all day. I don't know what to do. I have to do something. How can things change so quickly? One moment, you're in the mud. The next, on top of the world. And then, just as quickly, you fall so hard, you wish you were back in the mud. How do these books end up with me? I didn't even bid on them at the auction. I didn't want them. The agent called me out of the blue and offered them to me. Was he calling around everyone at the auction? Or was I the first he called? Or the seventh? I don't want to know. The books came to me, and I used them. I keep asking questions, but there are no answers. They're going to make me feel better. Exit Plan, an audio drama by GravityUndone.net.